Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada. Welcome in to another episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. This is your host for the evening, Matthew Betts, joined as always, by my good friend Matt Okada out there on the West Coast. Okada, how are you doing this evening? Um, You know, I'm doing pretty good, Bets. It's a little bit warm because summer's kicking in. It's all the way up to 80 degrees uh, in my neighborhood, which is just a heinously high temperature. <laughs> oh, it sounds terrible. And, I'm so, I'm so sorry for you, man. That's, yeah, that no clouds in the, in the sky to protect us from the sun. It's really <laughs> getting rough. Oh, man. Um, I apologize to all the listeners that are not living in California and that can relate to that because I certainly cannot. And uh, neither can our guest, who is in the central time zone, uh, as he told us. That is Mr. Rob Waziak at WazNFL on Twitter. Waz, how are you doing this evening, man? I am enjoying the only true time zone. How's, how's it going, guys? Whoa! <laughs> That's up for debate. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that for another time, but... Uh, Waz, thanks so much for joining us tonight, man. We're super excited to talk with you. We've got a great show planned for the listeners. We're going to be talking about late round draft targets, guys that are going after round 10 that you should be going out and targeting in your drafts when the time comes. But before we get into all that good stuff, Waz, just give us a little bit of a background on you know, your history and fantasy and kind of where your work can be found right now and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, a, a little bit about me. Let's back up just a little bit. I've been doing this for about 20 years. Uh, started at ffcouchcoach.com uh, back in uh, 2013, 2014 season when everyone was joining a website and everyone was being a writer. So, but uh, I was a terrible writer back then. wasn't sure how to do it. Yada yada yada. Joined pyromaniac.com. Got into rankings on Fantasy Pros a little bit. Uh, shout out to my second ranked finish last year. Self pat mm. on the back. No big deal. Um, yeah, so, but most recently, I uh, since Pyromania closed, I wanted to do something new. I told people, hey, I'm available. I didn't expect much of a return, but I was actually really humbled by the responses I got. And the most uh, satisfying one came from a guy called Mike Wright, um, where he uh, asked me if I wanted to join the team to do content, DraftKings content for the DFS pass this year. So pretty stoked about that. Looking forward to that. So I'm uh, ready to grind on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that's a fantastic place to have your work put out because obviously that team over there, which Okada used to be a, a part of and I currently still am. Uh, so welcome to the team, Waz. Uh, puts out great content, and I'm very, very confident that people are going to be winning some money reading your content this year, or at least I hope they will be, because I'm going to be reading it too, uh, <laughs> when they play DFS for sure. Um, so with that being said, guys, let's go ahead and transition over into the news. I got great news, guys. Oh, oh, news. Hey, news. News. Yes. news, 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 All right, guys, it's time to talk more about Tyreek Hill. It seems like we've been doing this bi-weekly Okada what would you say um, pretty much news updates for him so the most recent news blurb came out per an anonymous Chiefs official Tyreek Hill could face just a maximum of four games with his suspension guys what do you make of this I mean 
I feel like all offseason people were saying he's done for the year. Then it was 10 games. Then it was eight games. And now it's potentially four. Um, Waz, what do you what do you make about the Tyreek Hill situation? Well, the situation in general, I, I think it, a lot of people have a hard time uh, adding their opinion to it because you're going to get outlashed one way or another. Um, with this most recent news drop, I think a lot of it has to come down to the NFL having a difficult time with the lack of evidence or, and him always being willing to, it seems like, go forth with the process properly. It, it didn't seem like he acted out in the NFL sense. You know, we heard his his recording over the phone. Um, but I think that's all the NFL actually has there is that, you know, that um, that improper, how should I put it, that uh, message to his girlfriend there. So, and I think that's all they're probably going to suspend him on because I don't think they have enough to do otherwise, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, if for no other reason that the then that the actual authorities had didn't have enough to go on in any other respect, um, the investigation they had into him and the child and what happened ended up pretty much going nowhere. No one was charged with anything really, so it doesn't really seem like the NFL would necessarily have anything more to go on than that from that respect. So all they really do have to go on is some very very harsh language. Uh, on that call and we've seen that kind of at least verbal abuse get punished by something like four games there was a guy last year whose name's slipping my mind but he got a four game suspension for a similar sort of uh, verbal abuse thing so that does seem to be maybe always going to get punished on for now which means he's going to be very draftable in fantasy unfortunately that's a good talking <laughs> point let's let's table the whole you know, authority and suspension and all that kind of talk. And let's just pretend for a second that he is actually going to get four games. So uh, with that in mind, if you're factoring him only playing 12 games, again, assuming full health there, um, where would you draft him, Okada, in a 12-team league? I have to imagine he would be right around the wide receiver 15 range for me at the lowest, um, but probably right around there, which means he's coming off my board Sometime around the round two, round three transition, I would think. Yeah, Waz, what about you? No, I'm, I'm totally on board with at least top 15. I actually, you know, even four games, Tariq Hill can easily put up wide receiver one numbers. And But the thing is, I may wait just a little bit longer because I do feel like a lot of people are still uncertain and or just aren't okay with drafting him uh, after the offseason. But um, if I'm sitting there at the turn or round of the second round uh, or a little earlier, I would definitely reach for him as my wide receiver one and be okay with it. Yeah, the the ability to find depth guys at the wide receiver position to start a few games, and we're going to probably even talk about a few of the guys who could slip right in for that, which, by the way, could even include Nicole Hardman if you just wanted to get him as almost a handcuff for the first four games and then drop him. I don't know how good he'll be at the gate as a rookie, but the point is you can survive those first four games probably with some decent bench receivers and then end up having a top five guy for the rest of the year. And that's pretty attractive to me. Yeah, and just to put a bow on the whole Tyree Kill situation here, he is going right now as the wide receiver 16 on Fantasy Football Calculator. Uh, that's in the fourth round. And as you guys said, I 100% agree. For the upside that he presents, even without four games, I'll take that risk and I'll figure out how to plug in another wide receiver and when you take him in the second or third round you're immediately getting 
theoretically two wide receiver ones if you take a wide receiver earlier in your draft. So I 100% am good on that on that draft strategy. Fortunately for most of us, if you're not drafting yet, the actual suspension should come down sooner than later so that we can kind of get some clarity on the situation. But definitely something to keep monitoring for sure. Next thing uh, of news here is just a quick blurb regarding the uh, the Bills running back situation. So the reporters there, the local beat reporters, are saying LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, and rookie Devin Singletary have all split first-team reps so far during the team's offseason program. It's going to be a muddy situation there in the Buffalo backfield. Okada, how do you see that all shaking out there out of those three guys? Um, well, on a surprise meter of 1 to 10 bets, this is a 1 to me. So not I've surprised been, at all? Not at all. I've been saying for pretty much since Singletary got drafted that I expect a very healthy competition in this backfield going towards the beginning of the preseason. And I honestly expect one of these guys, or Yeldon, but I expect it to be McCoy to get cut. McCoy has a big cap hit that they could get rid of if they cut him. And go listen, Gore is going to be productive with the carries you give him. He always is. He's just who he is. He's endless and uninjurable and, you know, gets you four yards a carry. That's that's what he does. Um, McCoy looked awful last year. Obviously, the offense wasn't very helpful to him or the line. There were some injuries there that didn't help either. But I think that they can get as much, if not more, production out of Gore and Singletary than they did out of McCoy for a lot less money. And I actually think that Singletary, and we talked about this when we talked about our rookie pods or went through those, I really think he could actually take the lead in this backfield by the time mid or late part of the season rolls around. And I really like him as a late grab at fantasy. Yeah, I definitely can get on board with that. I think he's the type of player that if they enter the season with these three guys, I think by midseason you could see a change there in terms of how the, the carries are divvied up. Um, so definitely a, a scenario that I'm on board with as well. Waz, what are your thoughts there on the Buffalo backfield? Okada brings up a really good point with them getting rid of McCoy and just running with Singletary and Gore. I think the way the Buffalo offense is developing uh, with Josh Allen a little bit, you know, Josh Allen's not developing as well. But there's a, there's no reason really for them to keep McCoy um, in his declining age. Um, I still believe if all three do play this season, that McCoy is obviously going to get the most fantasy points for our teams. But I don't see him being a, probably a top 24 you know, at all because Singletary and Gore will be siphoning carries. And they're going to be taking carries often. I really would like to see Devin Singletary a lot more. I would like to see McCoy gone. But I, I, I also have a feeling that it is going to be TJ Yeldon, as Okada um, believes as well. Um, it's going to be a little muddy. I, I'm going to avoid these guys at all costs. Uh, nothing surprising, really, when you have uh, two aging running backs and a, and a rookie. Um, but if, if anything, for Devin Singletary, it's super promising. Yeah, and just uh, for hard numbers purposes, McCoy's, uh, the savings they would get on the cap if they cut McCoy would be $6.4 million. That's not insignificant. So if they feel like they're ready to move on to a younger kind of team overall team direction which is what they seem to be doing it would make a lot of sense to bye bye mccoy yeah and along with that too let's say they start the season off slow and they're a couple of games below 500 if they don't turn it around you could argue they want to see what they have in singletary and so for that reason too maybe you want to stay a couple of weeks ahead of your opponents there and, and grab them kind of if the bills are struggling because 
you know, there's no point in seeing McCoy is they know what McCoy is. Uh, Singletary is kind of the one question mark that they might try to see if he is their back of the future there. So definitely something to keep an eye on there. Uh, but before we get into the main part of the show here, our late round draft targets, we have got a live read from one of our sponsors. Okada, you want to take this one? Sure. So this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Draft, capital D-A-R-A-F-T, because it's not just a normal draft, you know, it's an awesome draft. Uh, come and join us. Bets and I both uh, play around on Draft pretty much on a weekly basis. You can download the app anytime to search a draft in your app store. Join a game pretty much right away. Uh, you can also play from your computer if you go to playdraft.com slash redshirts. And for a limited time, all new players, so if you have not ever made a draft account and you open one up, you get a free $3 entry into a draft when you make your first deposit with our code redshirts. So you can make money off of no money by using our code. That that seems like a win to me, Bets. I'm not much of a businessman, but that sounds like a very good way to do it. <laughs> it absolutely is. And it's, it is is 100% worth it, not just for the free money, but for this app. It's one of my favorite fantasy football apps out there. It might even be number one for me. Super uh, cool interface. Lots of fun things you can do. They have great contests, championships that last many weeks. And one of the, one of the coolest things you can do is uh, create custom drafts to face off with your friends. You can even do like little three-man drafts before the league for best ball purposes during the league uh, or during the season every week, which is super fun. So yeah, download draft, use our code, and you will have a blast with it this season. 100%. All right, let's get into the main part of the show here, our late round draft targets. Yes, there he is. My diamond in the rough. All right. Uh, let's let's let our guests go first. Okada here. What we're gonna do is is take a, a player in each position, so a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end, and we're all gonna kind of go around in a circle, give you all our player at that position, tell you where they're currently being drafted and why you should take them a bit higher. Um, Fantasy Football Calculator is the ADP that we are using. We're gonna go with a twelve-team half PPR format for this exercise here. So, Waz, go ahead and kick us off with your uh, quarterback. Um, we all understand how valuable rushing quarterbacks are in fantasy football. Rushing quarterbacks carry their weight in gold. This quarterback, all I really care about is his rushing because, frankly, prove that's all he can do. Um, Lamar Jackson, I'm referring to, who's currently being drafted in the 11th round. The quarterback 20, which I believe is kind of ridiculous. Because hear me out. He started in week 11. So he, st- he played like six fantasy games, seven if you count week 18 or week 17. Um, I think that's good math. Uh, yeah, Jackson, yeah, uh, between weeks 11 and 16, Jackson averaged 19.3 p- fantasy points. Uh, I mean, those were fringe top, t- top 12 numbers uh, across that period. Now, if you include that 28-point win against the Browns in Week 17, he also added on another 20.6 fantasy point performance. The bad news, Lamar Jackson completed only 58% of his passes you know, during those weeks. Five touchdowns, three interceptions. But back to the good, he averaged 14 rushes per game for 469 yards and two touchdowns. And then in Week 17, he added two more touchdowns, 90 more yards for 20 carries. Um, Lamar Jackson is literally carrying his weight in fantasy gold with his legs. Now, an article came out at the end of May uh, on ESPN from Mike Kruger, 
Uh, he states that Ravens owner Steve Biscotti states that the Ravens offense is not about running Lamar Jackson 20 times per game. That's not what the Ravens are going to be. Now, I'm taking that with a grain of salt. You know, I understand that they want to protect him and they want to improve his passing with volume. But I find it impractical with what the Ravens have to work with. And there's the expectations they're going to have to find ways to win games. And they won games last year with Lamar Jackson's legs. You know, the current wide receivers, Willie Sneed, Jordan Lasley, Chris Moore, rookies Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. Exactly. Like, they're going to need Lamar Jackson to use his legs. Now, seeing how he's being drafted as a quarterback 20 right now, I only think that's ridiculous because I expect him to be a quarterback one in fantasy football this year. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's unreal how much rushing volume he got last year from weeks 11 on. 17 rush attempts per game it was more than Alvin Kamara. Uh, it, it was absurd, but like you said, was I think I think they are going to try to limit his rushing a little bit in the in the beginning of the season. And like you said, when it doesn't work, what other option do they have? They they pretty much have to go back to what worked last year and be the most rush heavy offense in the NFL. I don't really see that changing a ton especially given the weapons that are there. Um, Okada, what are your thoughts on Jackson? Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing about improving him as a passer, which honestly I'm not too optimistic about, I saw a hysterical post the other day where somebody took a like Ravens hype video of Lamar Jackson's throwing to a bunch of receivers. It was literally made by the Ravens to like be cool, and every throw was wobbling and the guy who retweeted it was like just watch the ball and he's throws he's not a great passer but here's the thing if they do get him even a tiny bit better as a passer I don't think that that's really going to translate him from a rushing quarterback into a passing quarterback all of a sudden what it's going to do is actually open up the, the running game for him and the running backs because the better he gets at passing the more of a threat he is to pass and the more of a threat he is to pass the harder it's going to be for defenses to key in on the run from him or the backs there so I don't see even his development as a passer if it happens as a as a detriment at all to his rushing ability certainly not to his fantasy ability and to Rob's point he was the QB nine over his period as the starter that's not just a quarterback one. That's a top 10 quarterback. That's the guy you're starting every single week. Extremely high floor. And is he going to get into the top five? No, absolutely not. There's almost no way unless he pulls off Cam Newton-like rushing touchdown uh, upside, which I don't really see. But if you're going late quarterback, which is exactly what we're talking about here, he's going to be a guy that you can plug into your lineup every single day, every single week, and get fantasy points. And that's all you need. Plug him in there every single day, even on mm. Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays Friday. and Saturdays. <laughs> even when they're not playing, put him in because he's going to score you back. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Okada, you are next up here in the rotation. Go ahead and give me your late round draft target at the quarterback position. All righty, Betts. Well, this is an easy one. I know you agree with me because you tried to sass me about taking your guy, but yeah, you I'm pretty sure I got him first. It's Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, probably due to get himself a deal at some time in the near future, by the way. Um, but this one makes no sense to me. Like the Lamar Jackson one, I can kind of understand because everyone knows he's a bad real world quarterback. Dak Prescott has been extremely good in every aspect of the game. As a passer, he's had extremely efficient passing, passer rating, touchdown to interception radio, ratio, or radio, either one. He's been absolutely 
everything that the Cowboys could ask of him and everything that fantasy owners could ask of him. He doesn't have extremely high volume, so you don't see him putting up, you know, 4,000, 5,000 passing yards. So I think that maybe affects the outlook on him. But with his efficiency, you don't necessarily need to. And he is so consistent. Has not been lower than QB 11 since he came into the league. Three years, three finishes as a QB 1. The highest of those was as QB 6 and no lower than QB 11. Explain to me how that player plus Amari Cooper equals the QB 19 bets. I wish I could. I can't. You can't, and neither can anyone else. It makes no sense. This guy has been rock solid, same as what we saw from Lamar Jackson over seven weeks in that he's going to be a locked and loaded QB1 just by consistency purposes, except he's done it over three full seasons, so he's even more trustworthy. And he can actually pass the ball, and he actually has weapons. There's a chance Michael Gallup develops even into a, a, a strong number two, which they haven't had I don't even know how long ago, before the Des Bryant era, because they never really had a good number two in the Des Bryant era. So, yeah, that was Dak. Yeah, we're talking, and, and Zeke is developing as a pass catcher. We're talking about easily his best weaponry heading into this year. He even got Jason Witten back for, what's that, for what that's worth. A few extra first downs there, which means drives stay alive. And his floor is QB1, AQB1. QB12 has, it would be lower than he's ever finished if he did. I don't understand the hate. I'm all over Dak Prescott, probably my my favorite late round QB target overall, but one of my la uh, favorite late round targets in general, regardless of position, because you can wait until right now the 12th round and get yourself a locked and loaded QB one, very similar to what, what we're expecting from Lamar Jackson. So sign me up. I love it. I'm all in on that. I honestly don't have much to add except for I agree with you and I put him on the dock first and then you stole him. Uh, doubtful. Waz, what are your thoughts on Dak there in, in Dallas? I am totally on board taking Dak Prescott late in drafts, 100%. Um, the thing is, you didn't actually mention Randall Cobb either. He's still relevant. Oh, He's, true. You know, to, to have Randall Cobb as your third wide receiver isn't a bad thing either. Um, the thing about Dak Prescott, I can understand being weary around about him. If he were injury prone, Dak Prescott is as durable as they come for a dual threat quarterback in a way. I mean, he, he can use his legs. He can throw well. He's got the weapons around him. Having Amari Cooper, drafting Michael Gallup, adding Randall Cobb. Um, they, you know, they brought in Alan Hearns. Uh, they, they are trying to make it as easy on him as possible with Ezekiel Elliott as his running back. It's hard for Dak Prescott to really have bad games, I think. And I think a lot of the game scripts that the Cowboys are going to have are going to favor Dak Prescott in fantasy. So I, I, I'm totally on board with him. Yeah, and one other quick stat that I've totally forgot to mention is the rushing touchdowns. He's had six rushing touchdowns every single season. In a standard league, and most people scoring, that's 36 fantasy points. That's, depending on whether you do four or six-point passing, that's like eight to ten touchdowns? That That passing touchdowns, that's... Crazy value from his rushing. You're not going to get those touchdowns from Phillip Rivers or Drew Brees or Tom Brady. So you just tack on eight pass touchdowns to his numbers and compare them to those guys, and he's right in those tiers or above. So you can't forget about those numbers either. Yeah, as safe as you can get, in my opinion. Similar to Lamar, he may not have the highest upside, but if you're going late round, this is what you're looking for is a guy you can start every week, and Dak is that. Yeah, absolutely. Okada, I'm, I'm looking at our rankings right now on redshirtsfantasyfootball.com. 
you and I have a little bit of work to do. Um, we have them both at 13, and obviously oh, after listening to you write off all that information, I'm going to be making some edits after this pod is over for sure. He'll be in my top 12, hands down. All right, fellas, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off here with the next player at the quarterback position. That is Mitchell Trubisky, currently going mm-hmm. as the quarterback 22 in the 13th round. And last year, he finished as the quarterback 11 in fantasy points per game. I decided to kind of give you that stat rather than total quarterback points because he did miss those two games with the right shoulder injury. Um, but when he was out there, man, he was just solid from from all all standpoints there. The, the passing might have been a little bit of a struggle, but we've already talked about it and how much these quarterbacks give you volume uh, on the ground and how valuable it is. So when you look at what he did last year, everything was new for this guy. New offensive system, new head coach in Matt Nagy, new wide receivers. Allen Robinson who was coming off of the torn ACL. Anthony Miller was a rookie. Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton just signed there from the Eagles. I mean, the entire thing was new to him, and he still finished as QB 11 in points per game at the quarterback position. So I don't see how he doesn't take a step forward this year, given that it's his second year with all those weapons, second year in Nagy's system. Um, I feel like he is a sneaky good rusher. Last season, fifth in the NFL in rushing yards amongst quarterbacks, which we've already talked about it with each three of these guys. It's the it's the cheat code. You know, you get a quarterback that can rush the ball, and it provides so much value and so much safety at the quarterback position. I'm totally fine with passing on quarterback early and looking at one of these three targets late. And I think Mitch Trubisky provides excellent value at quarterback 22. I don't see how he doesn't finish well above that number this year. Yeah, I have him at QB 18 right now. So I have him ahead of his value. So I automatically agree with you there. But the other thing about that, and we've touched on this before, bets about quarterbacks and our rankings, uh, he's the same thing to me as anyone from 14 to like 21. So you may as well call him my QB 14 because everybody from 14 to 21 is my QB 14 because they're all just lumped in the same tier where I expect almost the exact same kind of fantasy production. And that's a high-end QB2 uh, that you're getting almost at the back end of the QB2 range. So I'm, I'm totally on board with this. I think his passing improves, and you already touched on the rushing being actually surprisingly good for fantasy from him. So I love it. Yeah, I'm totally on board with Trubisky as well. Actually, it's funny because Mitchell Trubisky and Dak Prescott, your guys' two late-round uh, value picks, are players that would probably be on my team before Lamar Jackson. I actually really like both of those guys, especially Trubisky. Uh, I did a lot of research into the Bears' offense this season, uh, especially Allen Robinson. Now, the Bears ran on nearly 48% of their plays last year, and with Matt Nagy's familiarity uh, and success uh, with that pass-heavy approach under Andy Reid in Kansas City, I think that's going to encourage him to you know, start becoming more pass-heavy there in Chicago. I think Mitchell Trubisky is going to get a lot more volume. They're going to run less, even with David Montgomery. Um, after getting rid of Jordan Howard, I like Tariq Cohen more in the passing game as well. Mitchell Trubisky just needs to work on his accuracy. I, 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 Allen Robinson only drew a 68.1% catchable target rate on his 94 targets, which is ridiculous. So for a wide receiver one, that's something you really need to step up with uh, for Trubisky's development. But I'm on board Trubisky's. He's probably my favorite late-round quarterback right now. Was does that have anything to do with you living in Chicago? (laughs) 
I, you know, I, I think the reason why I didn't put him, uh, because people are going to assume I'm a Bears fan. I am not. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually a Jets fan, so it was a lose-lose situation for me. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I love Mitchell Trubisky this year. I love Allen Robinson. I like what Matt Nagy comes from and what he can develop with the players he has on his team. Awesome. All right, fellas, let's go ahead and kick it over to the running back position. Waz, we're going to go right back to you. Give us your late-round target at the running back position. A little bit earlier, we talked about the Buffalo running backs and how they're all kind of jumbled together. Uh, Similarly, I want to bring up the New England Patriots backfield. Specifically, one of my favorite late-round running backs is Damian Harris. He's going off in the 12th round as the RB54 now, I know you guys have him ranked in your rankings right now. Of Cowden Betts, you have him at RB53. Uh, so maybe you agree, but I feel that he's going to have way more opportunity uh, than a lot of people expect. I think last week, speaking with Ryan McDowell, you guys kind of hit on that point a little bit. And there is an expectation where he is going to take some carries from Sony Michelle and maybe even take over that backfield. I don't think he's actually going to take it over. I think Bill... Bilicek is going to do this three-headed monster of sorts. Uh, you know, any running back, if you're healthy, you can go. Uh, we already know Harris got like a little extra work and a head start in, uh, in uh, off-season workouts because Sony Michelle had the knee scope. Michelle's supposed to be ready for training camp, but I like the fact that Harris received all these carries already. Um, so while I expect, you know, Sony Michelle and James White to put up those RB2 to 3 numbers and Rex Burkhead in the mix. I don't see why Damian Harris also can't sneak into the RB3 numbers just with a timeshare across, you know, three running backs. And as we all know, rookie running backs could be league winners. So picking them up late, we see them really take off in value and win leagues because they have an opportunity to carry the football. Yeah, I think for me, you know, the whole situation there with Sonny Michelle and um, Damian Harris really relies on, I guess my concern is just, I'm not going to feel comfortable putting him in my starting lineup for sure, maybe until week five or six, if we get some clarity on kind of how they're using their backfield. Um, and that's with, again, assuming Sonny Michelle's at full health. If Sonny Michelle's out, then that changes immensely because I think Damian Harris is the guy in that situation um, to fill that role. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a shot in the double-digit rounds for sure, especially if Sonny Michelle doesn't get right in training camp. I think it's a situation I'm probably going to be very hands-off of, with the exception of James White personally. Um, there's just a lot of uncertainty for me in that backfield that I want to stay away from. Yeah, what's interesting about this backfield is that I think that their end-of-season numbers for Michelle and Harris are both going to look pretty good. Um, they're both going to be probably, I think, to Rob's point, in that back-end RB2, high-end RB3 range, potentially. But the problem is that you're not going to have known which weeks each guy was the one getting the points. Belichick will know. But nobody else in the entire world, except maybe the guys in that offensive meeting room, will know. So that's the one difficulty for me. Having said that, I think Damian Harris is probably going to be one of my top handcuffs in the entire league. Because if there is an issue with Sony Michelle where he misses a significant amount of time, which is not you know, out of the realm of possibility at all, it's potentially even somewhat likely given his history and what, what he's even going through right now. And Harris can step into a actual RB1 role where he's always the guy every week. 
that's getting the main majority of the carries and the goal line work. White will obviously still get the receptions. Although Damien Harris can also catch the ball, by the way. But to finish the point, he would be in, in that you know scenario a high-end RB2 for me, low-end RB1. So I love him as a handcuff, and I think he'll also have value. Maybe he's like a bi-week starter um, that you can plop in when you have you know one of your RB2s on uh, bye. So, oh yeah, I like him. Not surprising. As a Patriots fan, you obviously... Mm-hmm. True, true. Don't true. mind Damian Harris there. Uh, no, just kidding. But in all seriousness, Okada, kick us off to the next running back who I think I'm going to agree with you here on this one because last year we talked about sleepers at the running back position and this guy was my choice. So give us your running back late round target. Yeah, and basically the thing is I don't think much has changed since last year except that they've gotten a better offense to work with and a better coach by a long shot. Uh, so my guy is Peyton Barber possibly the least sexy is he even less sexy than lamar miller i would think so uh, uh i haven't really like looked into it in detail but i think they are he is a little bit yeah. less sexy <laughs> um on a fantasy starter scale peyton barber is so far down you probably don't even think of him that way but as of right now he's a starter in my opinion pretty easily i think it's not a difficult call um and the main reason i put him on this list is because for me the more that comes out of camp over the next two months, hyping up Ronald Jones, the more I'm going to move Peyton Barber down in my rankings. But we have gotten absolutely none of that. All we've gotten from head coach Bruce Arians is, I have an okay backfield (laughs) where no one really stands out. We don't have a David Johnson, and I don't really need a David Johnson. I don't care. All that tells me is that the guy that they drafted to be the breakout star running back is not doing that, and they're going to end up with a bunch of Jags. And if they end up with a bunch of Jags, I expect them to carry right over from where the, what they did last year, which is having Peyton Barber take the vast majority of carries. Last year, he had 234 rush attempts, 871 yards, and five touchdowns. He can do that exact same thing again and return value on, on where he's getting drafted right now. I don't see Ronald Jones taking over this backfield until I hear more out of camp about him. My mind's not going to change on that. So I'm going for a starting running back currently at RB 47 in the 10th round and being plenty happy with putting him in my flex. Well, you know you're not going to get any pushback from me on that one. Nope. (laughs) That's for sure. If anyone's listened to this podcast before, uh, you all know that I am not a Ronald Jones fan. Waz, what are your thoughts on that backfield there with uh, Tampa Bay? So I'm going to wrap it all up and also agree <laughs> that I think Peyton Barber is a fine value there for RB47. I don't have him too far from that. I do have him uh, definitely as a locked and loaded RB4. Um, I am targeting him, and I would be willing to reach you know one round early, uh, especially if, if we hear more about Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber falls a little bit more. I'm, I'm definitely going to grab that value and be happy with him as my RB3, even on my fantasy football team. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go ahead and just kind of wrap up the running back position here relatively quickly. We're going back to Baltimore for this one. This is rookie Justice Hill, who is currently going as the running back 52 in the 12th round. Um, We talked about it a lot with Lamar Jackson and how that offense is 100% a rush-first offense in every sense of the word. And for that reason, I want a running back on that team. Now, obviously, I prefer Mark Ingram. I think he's going to be handling the lion's share of the work. But Justice Hill can definitely be effective on a limited workload. 
Um, I don't see him being their workhorse back. And, and to be honest with you, even if Mark Ingram would go down to injury, I think Gus Edwards kind of steps in and fills that role. But Justice Hill, I mean, with how much this team runs the ball, if he gets 8 to 12 rush attempts per game and another few catches, it's within the realm of possibility that he puts up RB2 or high-end RB3 numbers at the end of the year. And we all look back on it and are, and are surprised by it. Um, but I just love this guy's talent, man. He, he's a running back out of Oklahoma State, picked in the fourth round for our listeners who aren't really aware of him yet. Um, I think he's he's a jitterbug. He's explosive. He can make those big plays. And I think with how much this team runs the ball, he's going to get a shot there. So in the 12th round, I'm totally fine taking a dart throw at him um, with the hopes that he turns into, let's say, something like a Philip Lindsay of last year. Well, I wish... I really do wish, listeners, that I could disagree with Betts because <laughs> we're doing a whole lot of agreeing on this podcast. But you know what? Here's the thing. These are late-round guys. They're all values. Even if they do nothing, they're not they're not necessarily bad picks, so it's hard to hate on any of them. But besides all that, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I love Justice Hill. So it's not that's not going to help either. Listen, if he is, he is half of Alvin Kamara, okay? Literally half. That's 156. Half of his body? Fantasy points. Top half or bottom half? Uh, Bottom half, because you got to have those legs. I mean, you got to carry <laughs> the ball somehow, but, you know, he'll <laughs> stuff it into his waistband somewhere. If he's half of what Alvin Kamara was last year, that's 156 fantasy points. That's basically the RB24 last year in half PPR around the ranges of Eckler and Breida. He can 100% be that. If he is the Kamara light in this offense... I can I could absolutely see that as an outcome. I have him ranked as RB thirty nine. I wish I could get him higher, and maybe I'll try. But even at RB thirty nine, where he's you know a high end RB uh, four, that's two rounds at least, maybe more ahead of probably more ahead of where he's going right now, which is RB fifty two in the twelfth round. So I love getting Justice Hill. That's a really good call. Maybe Waz will finally disagree. Waz, I am totally going to disagree. Ooh! All right, good. You know, it seems like every week someone new is trying to tell me, hey, Justice Hill, uh, this is going to be great. He's a sleeper. He's a value. Everything about this. He's generating hype. So I, I was already, like, not not on board with him. I do like him as a prospect, but how he fits there in Baltimore, the team's just a little too disjointed where I don't see him meshing well, especially when they already have Mark Ingram. And, you know, Gus Edwards, he just say would pick up a lot of slack. Kenneth Dixon is actually still on that football team, too. He's recently back from practice. I think he's going to have a hard time getting snaps on that team. Um, he's been getting too much hype lately. Everyone's on board because of the kind of athlete he is. And it, it, it is warranted. I just don't like him at all this year. And, you know, maybe, maybe in Dynasty... Uh, I, I would really like to pick him up, but I am I'm just off the Justice Hill train for this season. So your your reservation there is mostly in the fact that you think out of Kenneth Dixon and uh, Justice Hill, you would think Dixon would pick up the slack there if if there was an injury or something like that, or more opportunity, I should say. I, I feel like you're baiting <laughs> me into something where a lot of people are going to get mad because I don't want to defend <laughs> Kenneth Dixon, but he, uh, Dixon is familiar with that offense. Uh, they, they're keeping him around. He's going to be a valuable asset one way or another in knowing that, you know, that playbook. Um, I think they're, you know, going to start sneaking Justice Hill in, get, trying to understand what he's capable of, seeing how he works with that offense. But I don't think they're going to lean on him at all. I, I really don't. It'd be really cool to see. Uh, and I'm rooting for the guy, but uh, my ranks won't reflect it. Yeah, the one thing about the Ravens' backfield is you. I feel like you know that there's going to be a third guy that's valuable. 
But if you don't believe it's Hill, if you believe it's someone else, or if they're going to mix into that third guy, then it becomes difficult to decide where to draft him. But I don't think there, there should be any debate that they, they can support three valuable running back, or not running backs, running players in Lamar, Ingram, and one more guy. Just for context, they rushed the ball 547 times last year, which was not only the first in the league, it was like 150 more than the league average and more than 200 more than the last place team, which was Green Bay in that department. That is disgusting. And that was with Lamar Jackson only playing, you know, less than half the season as a starter. So this team is going to lead the league in rushing. The Seahawks might challenge them, but I think it's going to be the Ravens. And if that's the case, I think there's going to be a third guy who has value. And to your point, you know you know what else is a little disgusting? They didn't even run more than they passed last year. Yeah. Did you know? Insane. You know, they actually... <laughs> they passed on 50.4% of their plays, and it's it's kind of wild knowing that Lamar Jackson is kind of... I, I guess that is Lamar Jackson in a way, right? Yeah. He's going to pass and yeah. run, and they're just going to balance it. That's what I say. It's a little disjointed. I don't know how all the pieces fit. You know, I, I'm on Lamar's, you know, I'm reaching for Lamar maybe, but everything else, maybe not. All right, fellas, that is enough to talk about the running attack there in in Baltimore. Um, for the time being, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to it at a later point in the season. But, Waz, let's kick it back to you. Give us your late-round target now at the wide receiver position. I am so surprised that Okada um, did not pick this player first because every week all over Twitter I see him <laughs> talking about him. I see everyone blowing him up. I've, I've been on his team for a good minute uh, ever since he was drafted. I love the fit there. And Carolina, and I'm speaking about Curtis Samuel. Uh, currently being drafted in the 10th round, wide receiver 49. Um, so in reality, he's actually being drafted outside the top 48. That's how math True. works. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to see Curtis Samuel not doing better than wide receiver five numbers. Uh, he finished 2018 as the wide receiver 45, and he only played 12 games. He had 65 targets, uh, 39 receptions for 494 yards, five touchdowns, Added 84 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Uh, the Panthers also vacated 90 targets. Uh, 79 of those were Devin Funches. Um, the fact that the Panthers also didn't draft a wide receiver kind of speaks volumes to both him and DJ Moore. Now, the reason I bring up Moore is because everyone is focusing on his 2019 season. Uh, he's going in the sixth round, DJ Moore is, as wide receiver 28. Now, I know, and this resonated with me, Okada, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said last week um, that you prefer Curtis Samuel to DJ Moore. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Because I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, mm. I, 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 I really like the versatility of Curtis Samuel in this offense with Cam Newton, uh, with Christian McCaffrey, and DJ Moore is only going to help him. I, I think more can help Samuel more than Samuel can help more. Um, you know, if you looked at Matt Harmon's uh, uh, reception perception chart for Curtis Samuel, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful oh, thing. So green. Uh, I think he's one of, <laughs> he, 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 he's one of his breakout candidates. Um, you know, he's a wide receiver three easily for me this season. And with wide receiver two upside, he has my stamp of approval and he's probably my favorite, favorite late round fly value in drafts. Well, 
Um, I have just uh, completed a live ranking adjustment <laughs> on Curtis Samuel. Uh, I put him up at 34, and then I stared at him for another 10 seconds while Waz was finishing up and moved him up to 29 above Dante Pettis. So that's where I'm at on Curtis Samuel. Yes, please. Bets? <laughs> if we let this continue by the end of the pod, Okada will have him at, as wide receiver five. Um, yeah, I, I think he's definitely worth a shot there, especially at that price. I I just want to talk about for a minute Cam Newton in this offense because I definitely like DJ Moore and I definitely like Curtis Samuel. When you add in Christian McCaffrey, I think for me that just speaks to, you know, you look at all these guys and we're projecting them all to do well. Let's go back to the constant here, and that's Cam Newton, who I think is a value. I wanted to actually use him for this this exercise, but unfortunately he was going just a bit too early. But yeah, I love it, man. I, I love that that offense this year. Um, I think Curtis Samuel takes a huge step forward this year. And even if he isn't the one in this offense, which you guys are projecting him to be, um, he can still return on this investment here at this draft price. So I'm definitely on board with that. Uh, I think he is an excellent value. Yeah, and really quick to to Rob's point about you know the, the outlook of Moore versus Samuel in the general community, if you look at the overall fantasy numbers from last year, DJ Moore is ahead by 12 fantasy points. So that's probably plays into it. But if you look at the per game, because Curtis Samuel played three fewer games, then Curtis Samuel had averaged nine fantasy points and DJ Moore averaged 8.1. So when he was on the field, when they were both on the field, Curtis Samuel was the better fantasy receiver last year. And one of the main reasons for that, by the way, is his touchdown scoring. And you think, uh, this is kind of a small guy. I don't really project him to be a great touchdown guy. He doesn't score touchdowns like Devin Funches scores touchdowns, which is be in the red zone, jump up in the air, and get a ball thrown to him. He scores touchdowns by being one of the fastest, quickest guys on the field, getting into open space on crossing routes or even in the backfield on screens. And all of a sudden, there's a gigantic swath of field in front of him, and he eats it up faster than any of the DBs do. So this is something that I think you're going to see continue from Curtis Samuel, where he's scoring a surprising number of touchdowns and, on a per-game basis, outscoring DJ Moore in fantasy. It's definitely a possibility. I, I think we're all in agreement that it, it's definitely worth a shot, at least at that draft price for sure. Um, Okada, give us your next guy here that we're going to talk about. Who you might you might have to do a little bit of convincing on this one because I'm down with Curtis Samuel. Um, I don't know if I'm down with this guy that you're about to bring up. Yeah. So. This is Mr. D.D. Westbrook. First of all, he's got a great name, okay? And he's got a nice mustache, if you look at his, his pictures <laughs> online. I have okay, been, I'm moving uh, him up just for the mustache. Yes, do it. <laughs> I have been a fan of D.D. Westbrook since his rookie preseason when he was smashing. And, of course, <laughs> you can't expect preseason numbers to necessarily translate, but I liked what I saw on tape. I thought that he looked really good, and I still think that he's good, and I still think they had a, sh a chance to break out. This is going to be his third season, so you know about that uh, third-year wide receiver breakout, uh, you know, story. It it actually happens pretty frequently. It's not just a myth. Um, at least second or third year, that's when receivers tend to kind of kick into gear. I think it's going to happen for Westbrook. Last year, he had 101 targets. That. That's a surprisingly large number of targets, but I think that's going to go up this year. They have, and and not only that, but the targets are going to be much more effective. He's going to have Nick Foles throwing the ball now instead of Blake Bortles and whatever else smattering of backups came in for the Jaguars last year in a horrific mess of a QB season. Nick Foles may not be the best passer in the league, but he is very competent, com 
completely competent. All right, that Super Bowl quality, and that's actually. that's good enough for me. The, the, he's like true. Oh, <laughs> I see what's going on here. Uh, he's like an Andy Dalton type of quarterback competence, which is a guy you don't necessarily want on your fantasy team, a guy you don't necessarily want, you know, leading your team to the playoffs, except when he gets into the playoffs, he turns into Tom Brady. So at that point, it, you do want him. But what it does do is support fantasy-relevant wide receivers. We've seen Andy Dalton and A.J. Green. We even saw Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, and Tyler Boyd. And before that, we saw other uh, wide receiver twos in that offense be great. And I think D.D. is a wide receiver one in this offense. So they're not going to be the highest uh, pass attempt offense in the league, but I do think that their pass percent uh, percentage is going to go up. Uh, they, they brought John Filippo in, who passed like a maniac in Minnesota uh, before they switched off him because they were tired of passing like a maniac. I think this team is going to be a little bit different on the offensive side of the ball than we've seen in the past, potentially a lot different considering the changes that those two really important spots in the, in the, uh, the organization and if Westbrook turns out to be the number one guy, which I think from at least a target standpoint is going to be true, but I also like what he can do with those targets, he's going to be really productive from the 10th round right now, wide receiver 47. Well, I'll kick this over to you because I'm going to keep my response here short. It almost just feels like he's the best of the worst on that team. I don't, I don't know how to put that. I That's just don't exactly really what it is much stock in the Jaguars passing game to be honest with you I will say from an injury standpoint Marquise Lee uh, had a horrific knee injury last year he's not gonna be ready at full strength for week one so by default I guess DD is the wide receiver one in that offense but for me I'm just if his if he's on the board even with his awesome mustache I'm probably not gonna hit the draft button um we'll see Waz what are your thoughts there well my, my thoughts are gonna be a little shorter than yours um yeah I, I Absolutely not for me. Ooh. You know, I, I, I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> um, seeing D.D. Westbrook there in the 10th round. And e even for a wide receiver four, uh, probably not. I have no idea which way that's gonna, that offense is going to go. I like Nick Foles, but I can't see Lee, uh, Marquise Lee or Keelan Cole or D.D. Westbrook um, becoming a sure wide receiver four kind of thing. You know, I, thanks for sharing that information, Okada, but uh, <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame you. It's uh, it's kind of a shot with Westbrook. I will say, by the way, if you want an even deeper shot, this is like a dynasty trade a fourth round pick for him kind of shot. So that's why I didn't pick him for this. But Chris Conley is another guy in that offense. And he's the big guy, the big jump ball guy, which is what we've seen Nick Foles prefer in the past, mainly in Alshon Jeffrey. So I think there's even a chance that Chris Conley is useful, but I'm much more confident in D.D. Westbrook from a target standpoint. So... He's the guy I'm going with here and a guy I'm willing to draft in the 10th round. I like the Conley take. I do. I guess I should have picked him after all. <laughs> yeah. The guy that you should target as a late round wide receiver, if you decide to pass on D.D. Westbrook, which Waz and I say maybe you should, is Tyra Williams. Uh, wide receiver 62 off the board, which is absurd in my opinion. Given the, the new offense that he's in, obviously he signed a pretty decent contract there with Oakland this season to play opposite of Antonio Brown, which I think is going to do huge things for his production this season. We've seen him have spurts here and there when he's with the Chargers, but in those situations, he's one of several guys. This season, I don't know how he enters the, the year not as the clear wide receiver two, given the depth chart. They've got guys like J.J. Nelson, Hunter Renfro, and Ryan Grant behind him. So for me, his really only competition there for targets at the wide receiver position is Antonio Brown. And yes, he's going to command 
a ton of um, a ton of targets, a ton of volume in that offense. That's AB, but he's also going to command a ton of uh, coverage from the defense there, and, and I think that opens up a lot for Tyra Williams. One thing that I think we're all missing sight of here is that Derek Carr has flashed as a really good quarterback in this league. Most recently in 2016, he almost won the the NFL MVP award um, if it hadn't been for his ankle injury. But when you look at what he has now compared to what he's had last season, Jared Cook was the the wide receiver and tight end one for that team. Lord. And they had a beat up older Jordy Nelson. So he really had no one there. And last time we saw him with two very good wide receivers in Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree, he almost was the MVP. So for me... I feel like the opportunity is there for Tyrell. I feel like he's going to have one-on-one coverage the vast majority of the time, and I think he's going to open up defenses and, and win a few balls downfield and be that boom play in your flex. Um, and for the wide receiver, 62 price for me, I am very willing to invest that as my wide receiver, four or five in my draft. Derek Carr also flashed hot garbage football. <laughs> um, he did but, do that know, once or twice. I, I, I did like the segue from D.D. Westbrook only because – what Didi is being taken four rounds before Tyrell Williams. And Tyrell Williams is the kind of wide receiver I would be drafting in the 10th round. And Didi Westbrook is the kind of wide receiver I'd be drafting in the 14th round. So I do see that as a crazy value in my personal opinion. Um, I agree at the, at the volume of the offense. He's a lock for the wide receiver two position. And I do, you know, with as good as Antonio Brown is and the kind of targets that Antonio Brown really takes away in an offense even with that Tyrell Williams has shown time and time again he's a solid number two we saw him do it you know great in Los Angeles alongside Keenan Allen and I don't see why he couldn't do it again in Oakland um so this one's interesting for me if you look at the last two years Tyrell Williams has had almost the exact same stats each year catches 69 to 65 or sorry, targets 69 to 65, catches 43 to 41, yards somewhere between 650 and 720, and four or five touchdowns. I feel like the move that he made is almost entirely the same thing. He has gone from a decent but not super great quarterback to a decent but not super great quarterback. He went from being the wide receiver two behind an absolute target hog and elite route runner to being the wide receiver two behind an exact target or a target hog and an elite route runner. I don't I don't think really anything is going to change. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, depending on how you look at it. First of all, at this draft price, it means he's a value because if, even if he puts up only those numbers, that's solid. What it does say to me is I don't think there's much upside to Tyrell being more than this. I think this is right around what he's going to be again. So it depends on kind of what you're looking for in this range. If you're looking for a guy because you win a lot of running back stuff, didn't get a lot of reliable receivers or drafted Tyree Kill or something like that, and you need a guy who you can expect decent numbers from in your flex, maybe you have a three wide receiver league or something like that, he's a decent guy. If you're coming out here into these late rounds looking for some upside receiver that could end up being the one on his team, get 120 targets, score 10 touchdowns, something like that, he's not the guy I'm looking at. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for, but pretty much either way, I think that the numbers that I expect from him, which are the numbers he's been putting out, are better than where he's getting drafted. So I don't hate the call. Do you guys feel that the Raiders probably respect Terrell Williams a little bit more than the Chargers did? Could be. They certainly paid him like they do. So, yeah, could be. Yeah. I, I think that 
Williams in Los Angeles there. Um, the fact that they drafted Mike Williams so early after such a uh, an awesome season from Williams, from Tyrell Williams, uh, kind of speaks volumes to, you know, the fact that he was an undrafted free agent. So it's kind of like that that culture where, like, you're probably, you know, we don't want to keep giving you the football. We'd rather draft a first-round guy and push all of our, our care into him. You know, the Raiders really, you know, he didn't even even have much of a market, but the Raiders, you know, jumped on it, and all of a sudden he's playing alongside Antonio Brown uh, as the number two locked in. So I, I, I do think while he will remain constant, I think there's a room for improvement because he's on a team that I feel like respects him a little bit more. Yeah, and at that price, I mean, you don't have to have him finish as a wide receiver two. If he finishes as a wide receiver three, you are absolutely – um, smashing that ADP. So, yeah, love him as a late-round target there and taking a shot. Fellas, we're running a little bit short on time, so let's kind of keep it quicker for these tight ends here. Waz, give us your late-round tight end target. Austin Hooper finished last season as the tight end six. Uh, currently, he's going off the uh, draft boards as a tight end 16. <laughs> what happened, right? I mean, the guy started all 16 games, drew 88 targets. Um, I can understand the ADP, you know, drop. If he had a whole bunch of touchdowns, like a lot of tight ends do, but he didn't. He only had four touchdowns. Um, you know, they lost Tevin Coleman, who also opened up 44 tar- lost targets. They didn't add any receiving threats. Uh, Kelvin Ridley is expected to take another big step, uh, but he had 10 touchdowns last season, and we do expect regression in, in that department, at least I do. So I can see Austin Hooper, you know, drawing more of those touchdown targets. Last season, Hooper drew a 17.6% red zone share according to player profiler so if they you know if they remain constant there's no reason why austin hooper shouldn't finish at least a top 10 tight end and i can see him putting up you know more touchdown numbers and especially that the, the falcons passing volume only encourages that they had the fifth most pass attempts last season and they were third in the pass percentage so there's no reason not to reach for austin hooper in the 13th round for your tight end one yeah if he if you're a guy, if you're a drafter that decides to just punt tight end position, Austin Hooper is perfect because he's been in this league a few years, and we know it takes time for these tight ends to truly reach their potential, and he's grown each season there uh, with Atlanta. So I love that call. I'm on board. Uh, Okada, any thoughts there? Um, I don't hate it, mainly because of the value. You can't really complain. I do expect him to finish above tight end 16. I don't want a tight end in this range i've talked before about wanting a top guy and really not wanting to kind of go anywhere past ingram really um because it just gets so bad even if you're the tight end seven the gap between potentially that top six if you see it as a top six and then number seven is just so big and i will disagree for once get back at was for his disagreements on kind of hooper's ability to put up great numbers or or work his way into the upper kind of or even the mid tier of tight end ones just because i expect the pass attempts to drop in atlanta with the health of their defense they were just ravaged last year and i think that played a huge part in their the spike in pass attempts i expect that to come down i expect ridley to get better and to therefore take a few more targets and so overall i think cooper's target count is going to drop and i think he'll be okay with those targets and again like i said produce better numbers in tight end 16 I just don't see him as a guy who can hop his way into even like the top eight or six or so. Well, I shouldn't say that. Into the range of guys who actually do something for your fantasy team as opposed to just filling that tight end spot 
on your roster, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I hear what you're saying there. All right, Okada, go ahead and give us your late round tight end target. All righty. It is, uh, I'm going, I seem to have been going with the not sexy guys here. I guess not many of these guys are sexy in this range, but Delaney Walker is about as unsexy as they get, considering he's 34 years old and actually is turning 35 in uh, a little over a month. So he is not a spring chicken. <laughs> I'll say that. But listen, this is what he's done over the last four healthy seasons. Obviously, he missed all of last season with injury, and I'm sure Betts can kind of touch on that a little bit when I'm done here. But you got to hold, you got to hold on a second, Betts. All right. Oh wait. Four straight years of 100 plus targets. Four straight years of 63 plus catches. Four straight years of 800 plus yards. Are you kidding me? And that went into his age 32 season. So it's not like you know he was doing this when he was back in his. 27 28 year range and, and hasn't maintained it until last year when he got injured he was one of the most reliable ppr tight ends in the entire league and the titans are have been scrounging over the last year especially last year without delaney to try to get Mariota weapons and i don't think they've really succeeded in doing it i still don't i'm not a huge fan of either of the guys that they now have or adam humphreys i think that they're all going to be guys who will get some targets but Mariota has a rapport with Delaney Walker. He doesn't. He seems to not have a rapport with any of these other guys, honestly. Certainly, it's going to be tough to have as good a rapport with rookie A.J. Brown and Adam Humphreys coming in, and we've never really seen good stuff from Corey Davis yet, but we have seen good stuff from Delaney Walker and Mariota every single season they've played together. Right now, he's going as a tight end 12 in the 11th round, which is not, you know, that low, but... I don't see how he's not the first, basically, or in the tier, the first tier of tight ends after those guys that I actually want that will actually do stuff for me. So if I can't get, you know, the Ingram Henry range and I have to fall to tight end seven or eight, that is where I want Delaney Walker because of all the guys that are just going to put up okay numbers and fill that spot on my team and not actually do too much, he's going to be, the, for me, the most reliable and the most productive. So. Bets, hopefully you don't you know hate his injury situation because that would make me sad. But after you tell me that, tell me if you disagree. Well, I'm sorry, Okada. I am going to make you sad. Ah! Uh. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, no, man. I, I definitely am on board with this one all from all reasons like you mentioned. But just to touch on his injury, uh, very similar to that of Odell Beckham from, I believe, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. The ankle fracture dislocation, which uh, is basically a version of a high ankle sprain. After surgery, though, however, these players do pretty well. It might take him a couple of weeks to really get going, but I don't see how after the first few weeks of the season he doesn't return to form. Um, I'm not concerned about that at all for him. I think at his current draft price, it's definitely worth the risk for sure. And when you look at the other guys going around him in terms of the tight end position, like you said, at least he's done it before and he's put up very, very serviceable numbers, um, even top five at times. So no concerns for me from injury. No concerns for me for his draft price. So, yeah, I'm on board. I like Delaney a lot this year. I do like the price. Uh, I just don't see Delaney Walker returning to form as Okada believes he's going to return to. Uh, the offense has been kind of declining in a passing sense. And not to mention that they, they, they are always like bottom two or three in pass plays every season. Um Two or three years ago, they were actually in like the top half, and I think he had like seven seven touchdowns that year in 2016 uh, and 800 yards. But you know, Betts alluded to the injury not being a problem. I will 
I will believe him on that. But I just don't see at his age and the way that the Titans offense has been developing. Um, I, I think they've lost their identity a little bit. I wouldn't trust Delaney Walker at tight end 12 any more than I would trust Austin Hooper or like more than I would trust Austin Hooper at tight end 16. Like I think I'd be more comfortable chasing that passing volume in Atlanta as opposed to the volume there in Tennessee. It's definitely a concern. I think the, the passing volume for sure makes sense. I will say this. When we saw Delaney put up the numbers that Okada was referencing earlier, he was pretty much the only option in the passing offense there. So, you know, you can definitely see that being a, a factor. Um, I think I'm more in the camp of what Okada is saying where, you know, he's the reliable target for Marcus Mariota. And let's be honest, Marcus Mariota is playing for his job this season. Why not go back to old reliable, literally old reliable in, uh, in Delaney Walker there. So we'll see how that one shakes out, but we got one more for you guys here. I'm going to go ahead and kick it off the last player, last target uh, in your later round of your draft. Tight end, I don't know why I'm I'm on the Ravens for some reason. Tight end Mark <laughs> Andrews, who is currently tight end 17 off the board. Listen, you're only taking Mark Andrews if you truly, truly, truly are punting the tight end position. And for some reason, Delaney Walker and Austin Hooper are both off the board because that's what happened. I logged into the dock. I saw both of those guys <laughs> taken and I said, crap, because that's <laughs> two guys that I wanted. So I'm going to try to convince our listeners why I should target Mark Andrews, but it is definitely um, a later round guy that you have to be punting tight end to go for. He's done it before, man. He's done it last season with Lamar Jackson as a tight end one a couple of weeks. He had three tight end weeks, uh, tight end one weeks, excuse me, last season, and two of those came with Lamar Jackson. So it's not like he can't do it, but the, the talent is there, and this guy is explosive. We saw it with Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. He's one of those tight ends that can actually stretch the seam and get downfield. So when I was looking at this research here, it's kind of shocking. His 16.24 yards per reception was better than the aforementioned Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Robbie Anderson, and Kenny Stills, who all those guys, you know, in this NFL uh, passing attack are, you know, deep, deep field targets. You know, they, they get down the field and they beat those cornerbacks deep. So uh, it's interesting that he has that ability in his game. Does he repeat that this season? I'm not sure, to be honest with you, but hey, if you're really punting the position, he could be the top receiving op- option in that attack. We've talked about it a little bit already. It's probably not going to be high volume, but he can make some splashes for you here or there and be a tight end 10 to 12 uh, in fantasy. So if you, you miss out on everyone else, go for this guy. All right, bets. I have the most enjoyable little research nugget that I've ever found. I just pulled it up right now while you were talking. I figured something like this would show up, and it did. Of Good. the Ravens pass catchers left on the team from last season, so you look at last year's numbers, you look at who's still on the roster, Mark Andrews is number two in receiving yards behind only Willie Sneed and only by 99 yards, and he's number one in receiving touchdowns with three <laughs> which is not great, but he's literally the best fantasy pass catcher that's currently on this team from last season, by last season's numbers. It's disgusting, and that was as a rookie tight end. Uh, Lamar Jackson showed that he was willing to target him. Uh, This offense, I think, is going to be one where the tight ends can succeed. They're going to be on the field all the time, so I like this. I don't know how high he can get with that quarterback, but I like it. Yeah, I I brought up a 
a similar point to when I was discussing Lamar Jackson and, and the kind of pass catchers that they have available there. Uh, you know, but if you're truly punting tight end, like I understand the Mark Andrews, uh, you know, value there. I understand why you would take him with that offense. But mm. some of the tight ends that are actually going after Mark Andrews, I'm going to have a hard time choosing Andrews over them. And some of those guys include, you know, Jimmy Graham and Jack Doyle, Kyle Rudolph, Jordan Reed even. Um, I You know, so I think at his, at his you know, tight end 17 price right now in drafts, that's a hard sell when I see the other guys that are still left. So I agree with a lot of things you're saying. You make a valid point. I just can't see the practicality of drafting him there or any earlier yeah at that point it's pretty much pick your poison and take your take a shot yeah we gotta we gotta bounce through some of these names real quick so mark andrews or jimmy graham i'm taking andrews you're taking graham rob okay that's i will take graham but it's so it's so close right after that is chris hernan let's just skip him because he got suspended i think it's going to keep dropping jack doyle's after that i I like jack doyle a lot as a round tight end Oh, I'm so not a believer in Doyle, but uh, I think I'm going to take Doyle Andrews. I take No, no, I'm taking Andrews. Kyle Rudolph, he just got the deal. I'm probably taking uh, Andrews. I'm taking Andrews. That's actually really close for me. It's a, it's a coin flip. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. I, I, I would probably pick Rudolph or Andrews. <laughs> Irrelevant. Flip yeah. a coin. <laughs> And yeah. the last one, Jordan Reed. I'm 100% taking Jordan Reed because at this point of the draft, if he ends up being the Jordan Reed that we've seen mostly, which is he gets hurt and can't play at all, then you can just pick up a guy off waivers who's just the same as the guys in this range. But if he's the Jordan Reed that we've seen when he's healthy, I'd much rather have him than Andrews. Betts? Uh, yeah. Why not? Why not Jordan Reed? All right. Um, if he can somehow stay healthy... We've seen what he can do, and there's no one else in that offense. So, yeah, I would take Jordan Reed in that instance. Yeah, Jordan Reed will win leagues if he returns to form. And if he doesn't work out and you're truly punting tight end, it's okay because you're going to have at least four or five of these other guys we just mentioned available on the waiver wire. 100%. Yep. 100%. All right, fellas. That's fun. That's it. Woo. Those are some hot names. So hot. So hot. (laughs) Um, Okada, before we let the listeners go, uh, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a very long time, and we are going to let Okada read our latest review on Apple Podcasts, and the reason we're doing that is because we're doing a listener league this year, again, and uh, we got to take down Kent because he won last year, and I will not allow that again this season, so all you have to do in order to be entered into the listener league drawing is leave a rating and review on your podcast app, screenshot it, and take a photo Send it to us on Twitter at RedshirtsFFPod or do what our good friend Waz is doing and join our Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash redshirtspod and uh, if you pledge to us, you will automatically get entered into the drawing. So Waz, you could be in the league, believe it or not. You guys wouldn't want that. Like, <laughs> Okay, then you're not you're, in the you're league. Trying to get re- you're trying to get reviews so people but, can you know have a chance at the listener league, but they're not going to want to be encouraged to join the listener league if I'm in it. You know, No one wants to join like a losing battle, you know? <laughs> Oh, Oh, true, true, true. I see what you're saying. Okay. Uh, But Okada, go ahead and read that review for us here, and then let's get out of here. All right. So this one comes in from Persuader438, which is a name I recognize. I'm not sure where from. But Betts, do you know? Uh, I think this is Michael Stepney, our good friend. Oh, Michael Stepney. Love Michael Stepney. Okay. 
the the name of the review is Two Mats and a Nick. So this comes from uh, right after the Nick Whalen episode. He says, despite not having the smooth vocal tones of Kent Wyrock, pause. How dare you, sir? We have excellent <laughs> smooth vocal tones. Uh, but anyways, despite not having the smooth vocal tones of Kent Wyrock, Matt Orange County Okada and Matt P.T. Betts have held it down with insightful fantasy football knowledge with a nice helping of humor. Really like this week's episode featuring Nick Whalen, who's one of the best followers on Twitter from a dynasty and college football perspective. Shout out to Nick. Keep up all the sensational work you provide for all us fellow fantasy football managers. So, you know what? We really appreciate that most of that, Michael, uh, assuming that's you. The vocal tones thing, you know, we might have to fight about that. But <laughs> the rest, thank you very much for the review. Absolutely. I think I've got a terrible voice. Honestly, whenever I listen to our <laughs> podcast, I hate it. So I agree with this review. Okada, I think you have a lovely voice. I'm thank not going to lie. <laughs> my, my self-confidence is back up. Absolutely. All right, fellas, we are officially off the rails, so it's time to get <laughs> out of here. Waz, tell the people one more time where they can find your work this season and let us know your Twitter handle. Yes, starting in August, you can find me at the DFS Pass on thefantasyfootballers.com, and you can find the rest of my nonsense on Twitter at WazNFL. Okada, how about you? Uh, well, you can find me at Matt Okada, but you can get, in case you've forgotten, the DFS Pass as part of the Ultimate Draft Kit deals, which you can get with our promo code and get discounts. So, you know, it's call comes full circle. <laughs> it does. And that code for you all is red shirts. When you sign up for the ultimate draft kit, you also get Waz's content as well. Such value. You can find me on Twitter at the fantasy PT. Fellas, we got to get out of here. Until next time, we are the red shirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the red shirts, fantasy football podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.